Welcome to Xanadu Gallery's Red Dot Podcast. I'm Jason Horsch, owner of Xanadu Gallery in Scottsdale, Arizona, publisher of Red Dot Blog, and your host for this podcast. This is episode 12, and today we're talking about supply, demand, and art pricing. This is a vast topic, and art pricing is a huge challenge, and it's a bit of a mystery. And I know that I'm not going to be able to answer all the great questions about art pricing, and we're not going to be able to explore every facet of this issue. But what I want to do today is start a discussion and a conversation about uh, art pricing, and, and especially about how supply and demand fit into this equation. Um, and so we're going to dive right in and start talking about it. And, and so to begin, we have to uh, talk a little bit about some classic economic theory. Now, before you fall asleep and stop paying attention, I'm going to keep this brief um, and, and we're going to immediately apply it to the sale of your art. So it will be interesting, but, but we have to understand the, the basic concept. And so the basic concept is that in essence, the lower the price for any product, the more people will demand of it. And the reason that this occurs is because if you have a consumer in a marketplace, uh, and you're trying to sell a product to this consumer, they have to decide if the price that you're asking for that product is worth the opportunity cost that's going to come to them, um, you know, in parting with their money. They could buy your product or they could keep that money and buy something else. And so if the price that you're asking for your product is too high, uh, the consumer is going to decide, no, I'd rather hold on to this money. The money's worth more to me for what I can do with it buying something else. And so if you lower the price, uh, you know, you're going to have more consumers say, yeah, I think that is worth worth what the, the seller is asking, and I'm going to purchase it. And, and so, um, you know, basically, in, in, in principle, on the, on the uh, demand side, you can create more demand by lowering your prices. Now, the problem with that, of course, is that the supplier for a good, uh, the, the seller, is going to stop making a profit at some point. And there's going to be some production cost involved in creating a product. And as soon as the price drops below the profit margin on that, suddenly it makes no more sense to produce this product. And so, you know, the on, on the supply side of the equation, it's the exact opposite of demand. And that is that the higher the price the marketplace can create for a product, uh, the more supply that is going to be created because the, uh, the the producer for that product is going to have more incentive to produce, you know, higher profits and, and more reason to create. Um, and so equilibrium is reached when the price reaches a point that's low enough to create demand, uh, a good, solid, steady demand for that product, yet high enough to produce a profit for the supplier. And there you have some basic classic supply and demand theory uh, in a nutshell. Hopefully I've explained it in a way that won't make economists angry at me, uh, but makes some sense. Now, of course, in the real marketplace, things are much more complicated than this because it's not as if, uh, you, you know, in, in any category, you're just going to have, uh, you know, one consumer and one supplier. Um, and things become more complicated when the when competition is is introduced because what will happen in the marketplace 
is that uh, the supplier of product X is going to start putting it out there and, uh, you know, and, and it's going to put it at some certain price point. Uh, if it doesn't sell, they'll lower the price until it starts to sell. And, um, you know, consumers will start to consume that product and so on. And then another supplier is going to see what's happening and say, you know, I could produce that same product um, and put it into the marketplace at a lower price point and still make a profit. And I could undercut this first supplier. And so they put it out in the marketplace, lower price point. Um, Consumers move from the first product to the second product. Uh, and, and pretty soon that first supplier sees their sales drop off and realizes, hey, we're starting to accumulate a supply of, of this product and, you know, our competitor is selling at a lower price. We better take our price lower. And, and so that's how you get a, a, a pricing war. And uh, the next thing you know, those suppliers have l- undercut each other so frequently that uh, they've reached the point where there's no longer a profit in selling that product. One of them is going to go out of business and the other one can raise the prices again. And, and so the theory is that in a, a free and open market, um, you'll always tend to reach a, a kind of equilibrium between supply and demand um, because any uh, any imbalance in in that will cause inefficiencies in the marketplace, and and uh, market forces will come in and and bring you back to to that equilibrium. Um, obviously, the marketplace is very complicated, and you run into issues of you know monopolies and regulations, and you know in the real world, it it rarely works out very cleanly. But but that's the underlying mechanism that we're talking about with supply and demand. So. How does this apply to the art market and the art world? You as an artist, as you're entering the marketplace and beginning to sell your work, um, you know, how do these laws of supply and demand and pricing come into play with, with your art? And in theory, um, you would think that it should work, right? That um, if, if you're entering the marketplace and you uh, have a lower price on your artwork, uh, you're going to see a higher demand than someone who's out there trying to sell artwork at a higher price point. Um, you, you know, in, in that, that model that I just laid out in the classic um, marketplace would, would lead you to believe that that would be uh, what would happen. But obviously, we, that, that doesn't really end up being the case because there are many, many more variables involved, in my experience, in selling artwork than there are in uh, just about any other products that I can think of. Uh, you know, you're trying to sell electronics or uh, furniture or any other kinds of consumer supplies, and um, you get kind of a straight competition and comparable products. But with artwork, it is a much more complex, complicated marketplace. And and there are several reasons that I believe that this is, is the case. The first is that no consumer, as much as we would like to think that they do, no consumer needs artwork. Um, not in the classic sense of the word need. Um, you know, it's not a necessity in in the way that um, food or housing or or even furniture 
um, or you might even argue in, in the, the modern economy, some electronics, the ability to communicate, all those kinds of things um, create a, a need and would put you at a disadvantage if you didn't have those things with art. It is typically a purely uh, discretionary luxury purchase that someone is making. And so as soon as that's the case, it uh, throws a lot of things out of whack. You know, we're not selling widgets. And so um, people have emotional opinions about artwork, underlying aesthetic uh, ideals come into play. Um, it, it is just a very complicated thing. And even though art does serve or can serve a, you know, a functional, practical purpose in terms of decoration and all those kinds of things, um, it's not as if a consumer who needs a painting for a, a space above a couch is going to go out into the marketplace and shop for the least expensive option available. At least that's not typically how they're going to shop. There's um, certainly some cost consciousness among art consumers out there, but boy, there are just a lot of other factors at play for an art consumer um, than, than there are for many other kinds of, of buyers. And so if you think about it, um, yeah, I might be worried about how much money I'm spending on a piece of art, but I might also worry that if I spend too little on a piece of artwork, I might be buying something um, that is a, of an inferior quality or that isn't going to show well in my space or that people are going to make fun of me for having bought this, this piece of artwork. Um, ego is a big factor. Um, you know, also there are art buyers out there who it is not just that they want to buy something that's going to be aesthetically, visually pleasing in their space, but they also want the experience of buying art, or maybe they want to take the path of becoming an art patron, and they have an almost altruistic connection to buying art in that they want to uh, help artists. And, and so in both of those cases, both egoism and, and altruism, uh, there is some incentive for the buyer to spend more uh, rather than less for, for various reasons. Now, uh, at the end of the day, um, uh, you, you know, you probably could make the argument that all of these factors uh, come together and and really do make the law of supply and demand apply to the art world as well. That um, y you know a a buyer who's worried about how the the artwork is going to appear to their peers or colleagues is demanding um, you know some prestige in the artwork or name recognition and and so that that is what is actually being sold by the artist it's not necessarily only the physical piece of artwork um, but there are some intangible values that are being added to the artwork and that is what is uh, being demanded by the marketplace and that's what the artist is supplying and that the pricing that, that comes as a result of that is a function of, of classic uh, economic theory. Um, but boy, it is so hard to scientifically approach uh, you know, pricing 
of artwork and come up with some hard factors that you can point to that would tell you why artist X is selling at a certain value and artist Y's artwork is worth considerably more because of this or that factor. It's just, it, it, it is very uh, complex. And in, in my experience, um, takes a lot of trial and error and a lot of market experience to come to the same kind of uh, equilibrium in pricing that we see in, in the rest of the economy. And, and takes a lot longer because we're in so much of a, a smaller uh, marketplace. So what does this mean? Um, well, for an artist who is new to the marketplace, Pricing can be nearly impossible. Coming up with a, an optimal price right out of the gate uh, based on some kind of uh, market research that you're doing or based on economic theory that you're applying um, j just is, is almost guaranteed not to, to work or, or, or not to come up with an optimal price right out of the gate. Um, you know, in... in if I were an artist coming into the marketplace from a perspective of, of supply and demand, my thought process would be, well, I want to create demand. I have some supply. I, uh, you know, I want to be very competitive. I ought to come into the marketplace with a much lower price point than all of my competitors, and that will give me an advantage. Well, in my experience, that's actually exactly the opposite of what ends up being the case. Lower price points in the art marketplace can actually be seen as a negative, not a positive, and they can hamper sales instead of helping them. Um, many buyers, uh, especially if they are um, not seasoned collectors or, or you know, don't have a, a strong sense of confidence in their ability to select artwork, will come into galleries or go to an art show or an art festival, um, and if they haven't done some research and don't know who the artists are that are participating, um, they will look at an artist whose prices are lower and say, well, I, I'm attracted to this art, but the lower price point indicates to me that maybe this artist isn't as experienced or maybe the art isn't as good. And you introduce an element of doubt into the potential consumer's mind, the potential art buyer's mind that can... Uh, lead to uh, uh, you know lead to them questioning and and not feeling confident about making a purchase. Um, whereas as they look around at other artworks and kind of see where those are priced and find a a uh, you know a kind of middle ground, they're more likely to be uh, attracted to to those artists. Again, in my experience, now obviously there can be exceptions to this, and there are artists who. Uh, because of their genre or subject matter, have found that uh, you know being at a lower price point can be be a positive. But um, I would just say that you want to be very careful, especially if you are are new to the art market um, or maybe you haven't sold a lot of your artwork in the past. Uh, I would encourage you to to move to the the middle of the market for pricing. I'll talk a little bit more about that in in a few minutes. Now the the other issue. Um, that, that I would think about is the fact that for most artists, it, it really is uh, initially, and, and even some artists who've been at it for quite a while, most of them have a demand problem, not a supply problem. Um, and I'm sure most of you can, can agree with this, that as you look around your studio, you've got plenty of supply. It's, it's piling up and, and you know, running over the, the eaves and out into the yard, and you've got art everywhere. 
Um, and, and so, you know, looking at, again, at classic supply, well, I've got tons of supply. I need to eliminate some of that supply, so I should get it out there, uh, and, and get it a low price point, just get it out the door. Um, yeah, you, you know, what, what you will find is that, um, doing, trying to do that lower prices or sales or those kinds of things, um, it, it just often is, is very ineffective and, and, um, the, the, the underlying issue is not really that your pricing is off, um, but rather that you haven't found, uh, avenues of distribution that can help create the demand that you need. Uh, in other words, I, I've just taken a long way of saying that rather than worrying a lot about your prices being too low or your prices being too high, you should be more concerned about finding outlets for that artwork that will give the maximum number of potential buyers and collectors the opportunity to see and experience that artwork. It really is a numbers game where we've got to have a lot of potential buyers with all of their various motivations for being interested in um, artwork and, and all their various circumstances in terms of their ability to afford and purchase artwork. We need just need to be in front of as many of them as possible for the uh, stars to align, if you will, and to meet that uh, that price point and equilibrium of, of that particular buyer so you can make the sale occur. Um, so, you know, that's where I would, for most artists early in their careers, the focus um, should be on finding what I would term a kind of middle market price point. Um, you know, obviously, I'm not suggesting that you'd want to go into the market at the highest end of the price points and just assume that things are going to start selling. But I would do some research and look around, um, you know, in, in galleries that you might be interested in showing in or art shows and festivals that you might be interested in participating in and trying to find where uh, most of the artists who are showing in those venues are currently pricing their work. Um, that is going to give you the best picture of, of what you should be looking at for your price points. You know, think of yourself as a potential art consumer as they're out looking for artwork and, and uh, you know, participating in an art show or, or going to galleries, and they're looking at your artwork in the context of many other artists and many other uh, price points, um, you're going to give them the most confidence by being in the in the mid market there, uh, at least initially, um, and and by doing that, what you will will have collectors say is that I like this artwork, and you know I, I like m several other artists that I've seen. Boy, that other artist over there, he's kind of on the high end of the price points, and and some of these other artists are at the low end. Maybe their work isn't quite as good, but these artists who are in the middle are, are pretty good. I'm going to go with my gut and buy one of these. They're, they're, uh, you know, the, the psychology of a purchaser can be fairly complicated, um, but but I found in in my gallery, and you may find this yourself with your own work, we sell much more artwork in our mid range than we do at either end of the spectrum. And so that's a, a good, safe place to start. Um, and then as your artwork begins to sell and as you begin to build a following for your work and, and perhaps even bring some collectors into the fold and you start to get a 
kind of track record of sales and, and steady sales, then um, supply and demand does start to come back into play. Um, because at that point, uh, you are, you know, especially as your sales become more steady, where you can start counting on a regular pace of sales, um, suddenly you may find yourself in a position where you are having a hard time keeping up with the demand for your work. Um, there are buyers out there in various galleries who are seeing your work and purchasing it. You've got to then replace that artwork, um, get it back out to the galleries, uh, you, you know, and you, you suddenly find yourself in a position where maybe you're struggling to keep up. Uh, and, and of course, obviously, that's a bit of the goal is we want to be in that enviable position of having so much demand that we're having to rush to keep up. But at that point, then, um, you get a very clear indicator that, um, hey, I've, I've got some demand here. Uh, I've got some avenues for sales that are successfully um, uh, moving my artwork through the marketplace. I need to raise my prices. Um, and, and by doing that, I'm going to perhaps, uh, yes, perhaps decrease just a little bit that demand, but it's going to allow me to catch up on the supply side and, again, work towards an, an equilibrium. Um, and, and so it's, I, I guess, the, the way we could look at it is that initially in the marketplace, um, you know, we want to want to to go for the, the mid market. But then as, as you become established and, and time goes on, um, you do want to be paying very close attention to, uh, to, to this, these economic principles of, of supply and demand. And I thought it'd be interesting to kind of illustrate this with some experiences that I've had over the years working with a variety of artists. Um, and, and, and we can look at some, some kind of, uh, you know, uh, kind of use case scenarios, some uh, uh, actual experiences that I've seen where artists have used supply and demand to their benefit. And, and I also have some examples of artists who've, who've uh, misjudged the market. And I'm going to start with one of those. I worked with a painter. Um, this has been several years ago now. Um, I actually started working with this artist uh, many years ago, about 10 years ago. And um, the, the artist was, uh, I would say, kind of in the, you, you know, not a, an emerging artist, was already somewhat well-established, showing in several different galleries across the country. And was, was um, building a, a name and a reputation and, and sales were, uh, you know, not, I wouldn't say they were brisk, but they were steady. And, um, you know, buyers were attracted to the subject matter and the style and, um, you know, things were going pretty well for this artist. And then the, the artist took a trip to Art Basel in Miami and um, not not to participate in it, but just to see what was going on and uh, to have the experience of, of going to one of these international art fairs. And he saw what was happening there, that there were artists who were selling artworks for many, many, many times what he was. Um, and, and there seemed to be just a huge demand for these artists' work. And, and from, from his perspective... Uh, they were just making a, a ton of money, and, and he realized that um, he, he would never, at his current price points, uh, 
have any hope of, of achieving a similar level of, of sales or success. And so his um, solution to this was that when he returned from, from Florida, uh, he contacted all of his galleries and said, I'm doubling my prices. You know, I've seen what's possible out there. Um, I know, I, I, I now know what the, what the art market is like, and I think we're just wasting our time selling this artwork at uh, lower price points. And, um, uh, you know, my, my instinct was, ooh, this, this seems like a, a risky proposition, but, you know, you're the artist, you set the prices, and, and if that's what you want me to do, that's what I'm going to do. Oh, yeah, well, you know, my other galleries have already raised, raised the prices, we're just going to go for this. So we did, and um, unfortunately, the the result was that sales uh, not only fell, they they flatlined. Um, and, and in fact, uh, I am not sure. I may have sold one piece after that for this artist, um, and sales in his other galleries dropped off dramatically as well. Um, and um, it, it uh, was was I in my opinion detrimental to to the artist's career. Um, now we're going to see some other examples where, where that are exactly the opposite. But but this is the fear, right? That if we dramatically increase prices, um, we're going to see a, a a drop in the marketplace. Um, I would argue. Well, I'm not going to make the argument yet because I'm going to show an opposite illustration of that and, and the right way to raise prices. Um, I've got another artist that I had, have worked with for many years, um, and this artist is a sculptor and um, has, has experienced great success in the art market. Um, shows, again, shows in galleries uh, across the country, is in uh, collections, not only around the country, but around the world. Um, established a very successful um, business model, um, you know, distributing his artwork, producing his artwork. And, and sculpting is difficult because uh, unlike painting or, um, y- you know, other media that you might work in, um, although, of course, every media has its production cost, but sculpting is particularly particularly onerous uh, for the the artist, in that uh, you know, to get a piece of artwork out there, you have to create molds and castings, and and you know, you're buying commodities, bronze, um, and and it it is vastly more expensive and, and a huge investment in terms of capital to get your your first pieces out to the marketplace, um, and and so a lot of sculptors either. Um, uh, just never get off the ground because they can never get enough castings together to to supply their their galleries and, and other venues, um, or they just struggle for years and years and years on very low profit margins. Um, but this particular artist um, was creating sculpture that. Uh, kind of hit the zeitgeist of the day and was very, um, you know, almost immediately created demand and sales became brisk. And and instead of, um, you know, immediately raising prices, uh, he decided to pursue increased production and um, so was able to leverage the demand to increase uh, the the volume of artwork that he was was creating um, dramatically increased castings 
Um, and, and that allowed him to get his artwork out to a very wide collector base, um, you know, opened new markets to uh, buyers who maybe had never purchased sculpture before and, um, you know, helped him build a, a very successful business and, and early career. Well, um, at, at some point, he realized that uh, he wanted to shift gears a little bit. Um, he wanted to start focusing on what I would call some more significant, um, more, uh, not, I, I don't want to say less commercial, but I, I would just say more serious subjects, um, more monumental work. Um, and, and he just wanted to, to uh, change the pace of, of, of his work. And so he decided that the, and, and along with his, his business manager, uh, they decided that they wanted to decrease demand and production, but they wanted to keep profit levels uh, about the same. And so they just started, um, you, you know, applying the principles that we're talking about here, raising prices, uh, not dramatically, not, you know, not doubling prices all at once, but just started bumping prices upward um, and, and at first, that didn't really um, negatively impact sales in terms of volume, but it just just slowly over time started to uh, edge back from the the pace that they had been producing. Um, and and over the course of several years, did exactly what he wanted to do in in that he raised his prices um, over the course of the, that period somewhat dramatically. You know, if you look to the beginning to the to the end of that price increase, it was it was pretty substantial. And it just you know it did several things. One, it it made it so that his foundry could focus on producing these more um, uh, in labor intensive, detailed, larger pieces rather than just cranking out the, the, the other work that he'd been producing and, um, uh, you know, allowed him to slow down the pace in, in the studio as well. And so it worked out um, uh, effectively for him. Now, you know, what I'm not mentioning here and you know, on both of these artists, my painter who doubled prices and, and this other, this sculptor who slowly worked prices up, uh, what I didn't mention was that both of them, of course, went through the Great Recession of the the, the mid to late 2000s, uh, and that wreaked havoc on on everybody's ideas about the marketplace. Um, you know, and and obviously uh, because uh, potential art buyers saw their incomes decrease, there was a great deal of uncertainty in the marketplace. Uh, demand for all artwork d just dropped dramatically and, and took many, many years to return. And so, um, you know, that threw a lot of chaos into into the marketplace. Um, now, a third illustration, and, and this is, I, again, I feel an interesting one, and I'm going to contrast this one to to the first artist who, who doubled prices after going to Art Basel. Um, this is an artist that I took on just a couple of years ago, and um, he's he's creating something that's that's unique. And by the way, um, the the reason I'm not mentioning the names of these artists or or posting images and telling you, you, you know, being more specific about that is because, um, you know, these these pricing decisions can be a little bit delicate, especially in terms of uh, collector perception. 
um, and and some of the sales figures that I'm talking about, uh, you know, an artist might not want uh, specific things known, and, and we're going to see this especially the case with this with this next artist. So I'm kind of trying to speak a little more broadly rather than than looking at a specific artist's experience. Um, but I'm going to take these illustrations, and hopefully they can can help us with the conversation. So. So this this uh, third artist uh, that I started showing a few years ago, um, as I said, is doing something unique. And uh, as we brought uh, brought this artist into our gallery, um, there was an immediate reaction among our our collectors. They they loved what what this artist was doing, and sales um, took off almost immediately. Um, the first few pieces that came in, we had had sold, uh, you know, very quickly, and and so we requested more artwork from the artist, um, and and that pace has never slowed down over the the couple of years that we've been showing the artist's work, um, uh, and and so the there is an, an obvious we we can instantly identify a demand for that artwork, um, and in fact. Uh, it gets to a point where literally pieces are arriving in the gallery in the morning. UPS drops them off. Uh, we'll unpack them, hang them up on the wall, and someone will walk in. And it may not even be a, a, a buyer who has purchased from us before or even been in our gallery before. We'll buy that piece of artwork on the same day that we've unpacked it. Or um, the artist will ship out some pieces to us and send us uh, photographs of, of the pieces, digital images of the pieces, and we'll send out an email, um, you know, letting our collectors know that these pieces are on their way, and we won't even have unpacked them, and they will have sold. We, we end up just slapping a new... Uh, well, not quite. I was going to say slap a new label and turn around and send it out, but we do always uh, check the artwork to make sure it's arrived safely. But but basically, we would just open the box, check it, uh, close it back up, put a new label on it, and ship it out because the, the demand was so strong. And, um, um, y- you know, so we have this, this instant demand. Um, the, the price points then... Um, he, he, this artist was working in just just a very narrow range of of sizes, um, and and all the prices were coming in right around uh, twenty two hundred, twenty four hundred. So so very moderately priced, um, you know, in terms of our marketplace. And so, as, as we saw these these sales happening very quickly, and and from my conversation with the artist. They were happening happening a little more quickly for me than they were for the artists' other galleries. Um, you know, we start having a, a a discussion about pricing, and the challenge here is that this artist has you know been working for many years selling artwork, and has, uh, as every artist does, struggled to generate demand. Um, you know, for, for many, many years, it was, it was a constant battle to find the buyers and work with them and create the, the, the sales, um, you know, and, and to generate steady income. And so now that this artist has achieved the, the, the kind of demand and, and steady sales, there is an understandable reluctance by the artist to raise prices and risk you know, decreasing or destroying that demand. 
Um, you, you know, and, and this is an understandable concern. Maybe it's just a fluke that we're having all of these sales. And maybe if we raise prices, they'll die off immediately. And then we're stuck with the higher prices and, you know, the, the sales never come again. And, you know, you just have this kind of nightmare scenario play out. However, um, as, as uh, you know, time went on and we just saw that, that uh, the demand was not slackening and, and, in fact, the artist was starting to experience some stress of not being able to get us enough artwork because literally everything he was sending us was, was selling almost instantly, um, we realized we have got to raise prices. Um, you, you know, th this is, this is a, the perfect example of demand being so high and, and that, it's, that it's impeding supply. And we want more people to be able to see the artwork. We don't want it to sell instantly. Um, and so we started bumping those prices up. And, and in this case, uh, it's an example of, of a fairly quick and steady rise in pricing. You know, we went from 2400 to 2600 Everything kept selling out. So, uh, you know, a few months later, we, we bumped to 2800 Still, everything sold right away. Um, and, and so this last spring, we were moving towards a, a show of the artist's work which, by the way, um, you know, as I think about it, the, the artist really wanted to have a show with us. Um, but in a lot of ways, it just just almost doesn't make any sense to have a show for this artist because the, the whole point of a show is to you know, generate interest, give people an opportunity to be more engaged with the artist so that they will be more likely to purchase. Well, that wasn't our problem. We were not having any problem with people's uh, willingness to purchase the artwork. We were having a problem with with demand, and and um, you know the the show was almost an impediment to sales because it meant that the artist was having to hold back artwork to build up a little bit of inventory for the show. And by the time we got to the spring in the show, we had moved the prices to uh, 3200 for the average-sized um, piece. And remember, it's a pretty narrow range of sizes. Uh, and, and so uh, over the course of maybe 18 months or, or even less than that, might have, might have even been less than that, 15, 15 to 18 months, we had gone from 2400 to 3200 so an $800 uh, increase you know that's a, a third increase from 2400 to 3200 um, and and he put together I think it was 20 pieces for the show um, we, we hung the show and and I would say that there was perhaps a little bit of a, a slowdown in the sense that um, you know at least we could keep pieces on the wall for more than just an afternoon. Um, you know we did have some pieces in the gallery but over the course of less than a month uh, we sold out a 25 26 piece show um, because there's still, this artist has still not found that equilibrium. But I particularly wanted to bring this artist into the conversation because it, it, it can show uh, even a little bit more of the complexity of the market in the sense that our gallery is doing incredibly well for him and selling at these higher price points. But he's showing in a number of other galleries uh, around the country and obviously needs to keep pricing stable. 
And the concern is that, um, you know, maybe in these other markets, the demand isn't quite as strong, and that if he raises prices too much for these other markets, then then sales drop off. And and so, you know, there, there's this whole other dimension of complexity and pricing when you start thinking about the, the broad market. And so, you know, it, I, I think what, what we can see from these examples is, is just the challenges that come with, uh, you know, thinking about that, that balance and, and the, the issues that you can face as an artist as demand starts to increase and you start thinking about uh, pricing and supply. And, um, and, and so that's, that's the conversation I, I want to start today. And I'm going to give you uh, two assignments um, with this, this podcast. Uh, and the first is that I want you to share any experiences that you have had with supply and demand. What are your biggest challenges with pricing, uh, with creating demand for your work? Have you run into challenges um, keeping up, uh, keeping your supply up with the demand? Um, What are the biggest issues that you face? So please leave a comment, share your experiences and thoughts on this topic, and, and share any questions that you have uh, about supply and demand and pricing in the comments uh, on Red Dot Blog, and and obviously, if you're listening to this on uh, you know a different uh, podcast provider, Apple or Google or uh, Stitcher or something like that, I would encourage you to hop over to uh, reddotblog.com and uh, find the post for this podcast. It'll be in the podcast section and leave your comments there. So that's your first assignment. What has your experience been with supply and demand? Um, Your second assignment is to share this podcast. If you found this discussion interesting, if you um, are are intrigued by the idea of supply and demand, and if you want to encourage increased discussion, uh, I'm hoping that a lot of the the, uh, benefit that comes out of this podcast will come in the comments section as we can discuss this further. So uh, that, that discussion will be enriched if you share it and we get more people involved. So please email a link for this podcast to at least two friends or post a link to the podcast on your social media if you have uh, a lot of artists or other people in the business, the art business, uh, in your social media feed. Uh, I want to get the word out on on the podcast and, and increase the conversation. Um, and if you're just listening to this podcast for the first time, I'd encourage you to hop over to red.blog. That's all one word. It's R-E-D-D-O-T-B-L-O-G. So all spelled out, red.blog.com. Um, and you'll see a link in the upper right to join our mailing list. Uh, thanks for joining me for this conversation in the podcast. And I will look forward to your comments and questions and to seeing you in the next podcast. Take care, everyone.